you know, I always heard about Bob Bitchin, or I always heard about the Pardees. You know, I I saw Distant Shores TV, you know, or whatever. Never in a million years did I think, well, I'm going to interview them someday, you know. Today's guest will need no introduction for most of you, I suspect. Stand by. Me and Jeffrey Wedig of the Shooting the Breeze Sailing Podcast get into all kinds of good stuff for this episode. Greetings. You're listening to the Bonnie Boat Sailing Podcast. My name is Chris Smith. Whether you're a grizzled old salt, pining for the days of wire rope halyards, or a greenhorn, wondering what the hell a dolphin striker is, this is the podcast that seeks to fill the need for everybody's third most favorite pastime. That is, talking about sailing. Alrighty, welcome to this episode of The Bonnie Boat. Today I am fortunate to have for you a chat I had with Jeffrey Wedig of the Shooting the Breeze Sailing Podcast. Jeffrey is a veteran podcaster, one of the original sailing pods, uh, and he's an all-around interesting and affable guy. Uh, We talk about some of his sailing adventures on the Chesapeake Bay, some lessons he's learned through owning a number of uh, different boats. We commiserate about work getting in the way of sailing, Uh, our thoughts on the future of the used sailboat market, uh, and he talks about some sailing goals and aspirations. Um, And Jeffrey has been a big inspiration for me. Uh, I've been a longtime fan of his podcast, so it was was really cool to be able to speak with him. Uh, And you can find him wherever fine sailing-based podcasts are available uh, and online at theescapepods.com. And so I present to you Mr. Jeffrey Wedig of the Shooting the Breeze Sailing Podcast. Cool. Well, I've been, you know, I've been listening to your podcast since uh, I think twenty like fourteen or twenty fifteen to I guess whatever the first uh, yeah. boat show episode was. So okay, yeah, yeah. yeah so I'm psyched. I'm psyched to, to to get to do this. It's, oh, it's cool for cool awesome. for me. Yeah. But I thought maybe um, you know because the Chesapeake Bay is kind of that's that's our both of our kind of home grounds. I thought maybe we could start by talking yeah. about. Um, I know you took a trip down to Tangier on on your old boat Pegasus. Maybe we could talk about that a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was in 20, oh my God, 12. Uh, so at that point I had been sailing roughly 10 years. Uh, the first couple was just out a few times on a friend's boat type of thing. And I got my first boat in 2005 and I had a second boat for about a year and a half. And then I ended up with Pegasus, uh, which is a 26 foot, uh, pace ship PY 26. Um, so I had, gotten that boat in 2009 so i had about three years of screwing around (laughs) to get uh you know get acclimated to sailing that boat and just sailing in general you know i spent the first five years kind of screwing around in the northeast river and and very rarely getting out beyond that uh, which is the very top of the chesapeake there and i think the first week long trip i took was in the year before in 2011 and when I went out on my boat and I was with uh, two other or one other boat really for the week and I kind of bopped around the upper part of the bay, you know, went down to uh, Hart Miller Island and then, uh, you know, Annapolis. And we actually went to St. Michael's that trip and then back up through Kent Narrows, through the drawbridge and then up to Rock Hall and then kind of like Warden Creek or whatever and then back home to, to Northeast. So that was like my first really get out uh on my own because i was by myself on my boat my better half at the time you know had to she was a school teacher so she had to things going on and she couldn't get away for for a week uh, at that point 
Um, and I think maybe the year before in 2010 was the first time like a, or 29, I guess I went down to Annapolis on my own to like catch up with the gang. They all went down uh, for a weekend type thing and, and I couldn't stay out. They were all out for a week and I had to come back and I actually wrote about that and it uh, ended up in spin sheets. That was like my first published article cool. in spin yeah. sheets. <laughs> um, so yeah, so 2012 rolled around and, and uh, my friends, uh, Rick and Tom, so Tom's like the one that got is responsible for getting me into the whole sailing thing. So the three of us, like we went out as a group with the club, I think for the first night or two, probably to, I don't know, the South river or something like that. And then, uh, we kind of continued on and it was kind of funny cause we made it to, uh, Solomon's Island and Zonheiser's and, uh, we pulled in there, I think, on a Monday night, and it was one of these uh, small craft advisory, you know, yeah. later in the afternoon. So, you know, you hurry up, get into the, get into where you're going, you know. So I think around four o'clock in the afternoon, we pulled in, and it literally just started blowing as we were outside the uh, Patuxent River there. Mm -hmm. And, like, you know, you could see the water sheeting across, and I'm by myself, and I'm like, oh, God, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it was, uh, we had sailed the whole way down, which was really nice. And then, but yeah, at the last minute there, I had to, to put the uh, outboard on and, and kind of motor into the river against the wind. Yeah. And it was nice once we got into where Zonheiser's is because it's really protected back there. And uh, we caught mooring balls, I guess, you know, for 25, 30 bucks a night. And at the time, we're like, well, we'll spend two nights here because the, the small craft advisory is supposed to last till Tuesday. And, uh, you know, so we'll head out on Wednesday and keep going. So, of course, you know, we had a great time sitting at Zonheiser's. They got a pool and a bar and, you know, you could rent a car to go down to, or borrow the car to go down to the grocery store or I whatever. Yeah. Uh, walk around town. So that was pretty fun. And uh, so Wednesday morning rolls around and ding, 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 you know, small craft advisories now extended till Friday. <laughs> so we're like, well, we don't want to just stay here and it doesn't think we don't think it's going to be that bad, you know. And uh, somebody had the bright idea of let's go to the Nanakoke River. Uh, and is that is that Eastern Shore? Yes, that is Eastern Shore. Kind of, we basically sailed from Zonheiser's there out the Patuxent across the bay, uh, through the Hooper Straits. Yep. Kind of follow the channel past the islands there, and then you hang a hard left, head north to the entrance of the Nanakoke River, and uh, you know the the guidebook or the cruising guide, I guess, says it's like the last uh, bit of unspoiled territory on the bay, <laughs> unspoiled wilderness, you uh -huh. know? Yeah. And it sounds alluring and it, it sounds adventurous and you get there and literally there's nothing there. It's, it's a tidal swamp. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, there's a few trees to the West, which doesn't help you much when the wind's coming out of the Northeast. And uh, it literally it you know it's got like a maybe a quarter mile wide entrance to the river and then it, it's literally a switchback river that just goes left then goes right then goes left and every time it does that it gets a little skinnier yep and basically there's nowhere to anchor <laughs> uh there's like a shelf on that first bend uh where there's like a green mark and kind of heading south from that green mark there's maybe uh I would say not even a quarter mile of something that's around 12 feet deep. And that width of that is maybe only a hundred feet, not much. And, you know, the inside of that is, is 40 foot deep in the middle of the channel. And then where the shoreline is, it's like four feet deep. So we got these three boats. We're trying to line up and, and uh, anchor on this like shelf. And it's only blowing like 10 knots. It's no big deal when we, when we got there. You know, we anchor, we get the dinghies out, we go up on the beach, we drive around in the, in all the shallows there, uh, in the swamp kind of thing, go up a couple cuts, you know, think about come back, having a few beers, dinner, hanging out, all's good. Time to go to, to bed about midnight, and it pipes up out of the northeast to like 1520, and there's just no protection. So we're literally just kind of sitting there. Bouncing sitting your teeth up. out. Yeah, and it wasn't terribly bouncy, but it was just, you know, nerve-wracking because I put the, the um, drag alarm, alarm on. And the other thing is there's a lot of tugboats 
for whatever reason, okay. run up down this this thing. And we're literally 30 yards out of the, the channel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on a curve, on a bend, you know. And so I I remember laying down, I think it was like 1230 at night, and I had the drag alarm, and it was going off, and I get up and I look, and it doesn't seem like anything's happening. I go back down, I reset it, and five minutes later it goes off again. Same thing. Get up, look around. I can't really tell. It's pretty dark, you know. Reset it, go back down. Next thing you know, I hear my buddy Tom yelling. <laughs> Get up. Well, now he's literally 20 feet behind me where he was, you know, 60, 70 feet behind me. Yeah. So I'm dragging on to him. Now I'm by myself. So, you know, what do you do? Uh, I got the motor running. And at this point, like, I could feel myself moving. And my, the only thing I could think of was put the engine in gear. I had the tiller locked down and uh, I put it in gear, ran up front, pulled on the, the anchor, <laughs> got 10 feet of it in, ran back, Yeah. kind of corrected the tiller, you know, ran back up, got another 10 feet. And eventually I broke loose, but I didn't have time to get the anchor like all the way up. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just up enough that it's not holding me anymore. <laughs> So I start driving forward to get away from Tom, who's behind me. And uh, next thing you know, I feel it kind of lurch. And next thing you know, it, I'm pulling like the other direction. I'm like, oh, man. Yeah. So I literally start doing circles because my anchor kind of caught on his anchor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so now I'm literally like doing circles, wrapping my anchor up in, in his even worse. You oh, know, man, so I just kind of yeah. just kind of stopped. And he's yelling at me like, what the hell are you doing? You know, <laughs> and meanwhile, I think Rick was, you know, he's a hundred yards down the way even further. I think he was just sitting there watching <laughs> either that or he was asleep. I don't know, but you know, there was nobody coming to help. And I, I just, I put the motor in neutral and I just let myself drift. And, uh, so when it stopped moving now, I'm like 15 feet from, from Tom's boat. And, uh, so his, anchor road is literally coming up like behind where my motor is so yeah. he's like i'm gonna let out more road and see what happens so he let out another 20 feet and we stood there looking at each other for like 10 minutes <laughs> <laughs> and you know i'm not moving anymore he's not moving anymore so he's like all right he's like we'll deal with this in the morning i'm like all right so i went tried to go to bed you know now it's one o'clock 1 30 in the morning yeah uh and i might have slept uh, potentially 20 30 minutes you know i don't know at 4.45 in the morning, I hear dinghy motor running, and it's Tom. He's out, you know. I get up. He's pushing on his boat. Here he ran aground. So now his boat's sitting on the bottom. And, you know, he drafts about four feet. And uh, so he's pushing on that. And then I'm like, well, I'm going to try and get my anchor up. So he kind of came over with his dinghy. I did the same thing I did the night before. I put it in gear, kind of ran up to the front, started pulling, you know. And when I finally got it up, you know, here's this mangled mess of two anchors. <laughs> you know, Tom's already ground, so he's not going anywhere. Yeah. I'm trying to keep the boat straight. Uh, he actually put his dinghy up against my bow and was, like, trying to hold me straight while I'm sitting there trying to untangle these anchors, you know. Finally got it, and then that was it, you know. <laughs> like, now I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> see you tom 15, yeah well in 15 knots of wind and uh next thing you know i'm drifting back yeah. closer to his boat you yeah. know so as i just threw the anchor like and moss just on the deck you know ran back gunned the motor tried to get put it keep it in the wind you know but it was too late i started bumping on the bottom and then i got sideways to the wind and again meanwhile rick's up drinking coffee looking at us <laughs> <laughs> from the other boat you know and uh so tom ripped around on the dinghy and he got behind me and he pushed all his might you know pushed my bow closer to the wind and i'm like skipping off the bottom like boom boom yeah. boom you know and then finally i was free and uh so i'm i'm like okay you know it's 5 15 in the morning <laughs> i'm not gonna re-anchor you know i'm not messing around with that and I can't do anything to help Tom. So I'm literally doing like lazy eights out in the channel. And meanwhile, I forgot to mention that, you know, a couple tugs did go through in the night, which is kind of unsettling because you get this huge spotlight. Yeah. 
and they're fixed on you because they're wondering what in the hell you're doing there. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, oh, my God, what's happening? Anyway, luckily, no tugs or anything came by in, in the morning there. Uh, so anyway, I'm doing lazy eights and I call over to Tom and he's like, I called towboat us, you know, they're over on the Western shore, you know, they're going to come out, but it's going to be a while, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, I'm not doing anybody any good. So I'm just going to go, you know, I'm leaving. I'm going to head towards Chrisfield, you know, Yep. which I wasn't sure what our stated destination was, but it, you know, Chrisfield looked good to me because it was probably the closest thing to a, a nap yeah. <laughs> <laughs> at that point, right. you know? So I get out into the the bay, not like the main part of the bay, but the back bay there at the at mouth of the river. Mm-hmm. And I get my sails up, and it's maybe an hour later, and I hear Tom on the radio. He's like, because uh, I think it, maybe at first I was thinking about going back to Zonheiser's because I couldn't stay out as long as they could for the full two weeks. And I think he called me, and he's like, look, man, the, the towboat people won't even come out. It's too bad. <laughs> you know it's like six eight foot waves out in the bay uh they're they're not coming and i'm like oh great he's like you should probably just go to chrisfield i'm like all right and half an hour later he calls back on the radio he's like well i just popped up off the bottom (laughs) so we're coming we're gonna go to chrisfield too i'm like all right so you know finally we're all kind of headed in the same direction and it turned out to be a nice day other than me trying to stay awake uh you know i'm we're sailing pretty good going down through there at about two o'clock in the afternoon, we're getting kind of the, to where uh, we would have to turn in to go into Crisfield, and they come back on the radio and say, "Well, we'll just go into Tangier." <laughs> cool, yeah. Like, I'm like, "Oh man, you know, I'll just yeah, screw that." You're ready going for to a nap. <laughs> <laughs> right, and you know, so I, I literally started making the turn, and it's kind of ro- roiling around in my head. I'm like, I don't really want to hang out in Crisfield for the night by myself. You know, you know, maybe I'll just follow them. So then, of course, I turn turn and head towards Tangier. And I came, came in about maybe 45 minutes after they did. And even that was funny because we went to Mr. Park's Marina. And so we're against wind and we're against tide going the opposite direction. Yeah. <laughs> Trying to get sailboats into these, you know, these slips. <laughs> And here I am again, I'm doing lazy eights in the channel while those guys are trying to, you know, get in these slips and it's, uh, it's just a cluster, you know, <laughs> you know, there's dinghies hanging off the back. You know, each of them yeah, is you there. Yeah, not to wrap you out. Yep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're yelling at me like, you should back in. And the other one's like, no, you should pull in. And <laughs> I was just like, you know what? I don't even care right now. You know, I could bounce off all these pilings i just need to get into a slip yeah <laughs> so that was our adventure you know we got to got to tangier ended up getting into the slip there and it was you know tangier is very interesting if if anybody's uh, never been uh, i guess get there before it disappears yeah yeah for sure <laughs> but it runs kind of ferry to ferry so ferry shows up in the morning drops off tourists and whatnot and then the Ferry leaves at four o'clock and everything kind of shuts down. So we went to the, the grocery store there. Uh, that was interesting. Like we we're looking for ice and that sort of thing. And I think they were closing in like half an hour, four 30 in the afternoon. Yep. And uh, there's two ladies uh, kind of at the cash register. And when they're talking to you, they're talking normal English. But as soon as you walk away and they start talking to each other, they start talking Welsh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> understand the thing they're saying. Yeah, it's definitely uh, a distinctive, it's distinctive. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for sure. So that was really interesting. But, you know, there was one restaurant that was open until I think seven o'clock at night. So we went to that, you know, had the soft shell crabs, which was awesome. And then uh, we actually walked around the island until it got dark. And uh, then we, I guess then we ate dinner and then we hung out at the uh, marina there. And then, you know, literally like nine o'clock at night, I'm dead to the world. I'm just out, you know. And so the plan was the next day uh, I was going to leave and go back to Solomon's. And then those guys were going to continue on. I think they were headed to, they wanted to eventually get down into the Potomac. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think they decided they were going to stay an extra day. And so in the morning I got up, had coffee and breakfast with them uh, at the Marina, you know, paid Mr. Parks, took a shower whatever. And then off I went on my own and uh, headed back across 
two uh, Zonheisers. And that was an interesting, you know what I mean? So that was truly just me on my own. Yeah. Yeah. Middle part of the bay there. It's quite large. Yeah. It's, I mean, that's probably about as wide as it gets there, right across from the Potomac, just about anyway. Yeah. 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 It's it, once you got away from the Tangier, like you, the little water tower sticking up out of the water, yeah. a little yeah. on the horizon there, you know, you could, it, it's funny because those islands, those low lying islands look, almost like tropical islands from a distance because all you see is the little trees popping up yeah that's neat that's cool <laughs> and then you get the shimmer when it heated up you know you yeah. get the shimmer on the water. Yeah. Cool. so anyway i spent the night there in zonheiser's by myself and and uh the next day i'm like well you know i'm just gonna go to either the south river or, or if i get to annapolis whatever so i got halfway up uh kind of beyond even the little chop tank i'm a little further up and I get a text message on my phone and, you know, this is 2012. So text messages were kind of sporadic and part of the bay there. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Every now and then you, you would get one. Oh, hey, you know, um, and there it was my friend Tom. And he's like, hey, we, we're coming up. You know, we'll meet you at the little chop tank. So I'm like, all right. You know, so now I'm looking at the chart. And, you know, what what's in the little chop tank? Well, nothing <laughs> really. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's just a, an anchorage. So I think there's a. Trying to remember the name of it. I wish I could. It's like Hudson Creek or something like that. Kind of on the north side when you get into the little chop tank. And the little chop tank, if you follow the chart and the channel, I mean, it's a pretty windy little thing, you know. And that was my first real experience with GPS because I finally had a GPS that year. And basically, I was navigating by GPS because I'm trying to stay in the channel, you know, where it's all yeah, yeah. clear because I didn't want to run aground anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but once was enough there on that trip. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So it was funny because I got in there and uh, dropped anchor kind of in the middle of the creek. I didn't know where to where to go. And uh, they showed up about three hours later. And there's a little cove next to a tree or next to a tree, but next to a, a house with a bunch of trees and stuff. So it was kind of protected. And uh, so they anchored there. And then so I pulled up my anchor and went to go in there. And they're both like, stay away. <laughs> <laughs> like you go over there, you know. <laughs> I think that's right. <laughs> More ankle anchor uh, tangles. <laughs> yeah, 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 I think they were a little raw. <laughs> so it was. I mean, it was funny on one hand, but on the other hand, I'm like, oh well, all right, you know, <laughs> yeah. live, live and learn. All so, right, guys. Uh, all right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was a big trip there. I think we ended up in Annapolis. Uh, then the next day. And we spent maybe two or three days there. And that was uh, the 2012. It was the uh, the tall ships were all oh, cool. around. Yeah. And uh, so I have a video on uh, one of my Facebook pages or for the podcast. I can't remember. There's a video of uh, the Bounty was there. Oh, in nice. an app. Oh, this was this the one that ended up sinking? It ended up sinking later that year. Wow. Yeah, because wow. it was there. Uh, in Annapolis, right, tied up right there where the tall ships anchor or tie up there right mm -hmm. at the main dock. Mm -hmm. And so we spent the whole couple of days we were there right next to it. And we saw them up, you know, careening around in the rigging and doing all kinds of cool stuff. Cool, yeah. And we saw it come in and out, uh, saw it sail a little bit. And then on Tuesday morning, you know, I had to head back. And uh, so I dropped mooring. And next thing you know, there's the, the bounty heading out in front of me. So basically I followed it out all the way out to the bridge. Um as it headed north, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's something. That's I bet that was neat to see. Yeah, it was. It was really cool. And then, of course, it was sad later that year when. Yeah. Basically, at that point, I started following them on on Facebook, and they were up in New England doing a refit, and I was following that, and you know all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden, it's sinking, and I'm like, yeah. oh my god. Yeah. Yeah, crazy. It's kind of crazy. But yeah, that was the big trip. Uh, Twelve days on my own, kind of trial by fire, I guess. And, uh, you know, I'm just chomping at the bit to be able to go, go and do it again. Yeah. Know? Yeah. For sure. It sounds, I mean, it sounds like an awesome trip. Um, I've yeah. never, I haven't made it up to the Northern part of the Chesapeake at all. I'd, I'd like right. to for sure. What, any kind of general, uh, differences you observed, like between sailing up, up your way and, and, and down this way? Um, definitely. Like I said, the bigger, the expanse down there, uh, like when we sailed from, uh, the Patuxent through Hooper Strait, uh, we were, I mean, we were in six, seven, eight foot waves, which rarely do we get uh, up in the northern part of the bay. Mm -hmm. Luckily, we were kind of going with it. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like a northwest wind. 
and we were heading across. So we were, I mean, we were surfing down waves. Me and, and it was kind of weird because uh, you talk about like these ocean racers and and you know if somebody falls overboard, how like they just they can't ever turn around or go back or anything like that. And you're trying to envision this. Well, Tom and I and Rick, we all left at the same time, and it was blowing so heavy and we were so engaged in what we were doing that Tom and I looked at each other at one point and we're like, where the hell is Rick? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and we look back by, and he's literally like a mile or two behind us. And we're like, uh, what's going on? Like, we have no idea, you know, and we're trying to hail him on the radio. We're trying to call and like for about 30 minutes, like we're kind of like, do we turn around? Yeah, Can't worried, turn around? Yeah. <laughs> you know, what's going on? And I hear he had caught a crab trap. Oh, geez. <laughs> and had to get in his dinghy oh, with boat pole to try and unhook this thing from his rudder. And like, we didn't know it, you yeah. know. And, and I don't even know that if we could have turned around. I mean, I'm sure we could have, but, you know, how are we going to get to where he's at? We're going to be tacking all over the place. Yeah, you start, yeah like an hour or two, probably. <laughs> right, exactly. You know, and it's. Luckily, like I said, if, if we wouldn't have heard from it, like we were getting to the point where, all right, if we don't hear anything, you know, we're kind of yelling at each other, you know, yeah. across the yeah. water and on the radio and stuff. And uh, luckily he was able to get it untangled and, and his wife was able to to man the boat, you know, and, and keep it going, uh, you know, or, or keep it from running him over, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the last thing you want to be in six foot waves is kind of screwing around with a boat pole and a bucking boat. You yeah, know? no, that doesn't sound fun. <laughs> yeah. And then so the rest of that journey across, it was really great because we were able to do it under sail for the most part, like all through the, the dog legs that you have to go through to get around through the Hooper Strait and all yeah, that. Yeah, that sounds fun. Yeah. And there's a, I did one of my other pictures that Rick took when he finally caught up to us and he was yelling at me because, uh, you know, I wasn't necessarily green, but I wasn't necessarily super experienced either. So he's yelling at me like, why do you still have full sail up? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's blowing 2530 and, and I'm healed over. I got the rail buried in the water. I'm holding on for dear life. You know, and he's got pictures of me under full sail in that in those conditions, you know. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And he's like, you should have reefed. You should have reefed. You should have reefed. <laughs> like, I don't even know how to reef. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it was definitely the experience. And then it honestly, it was a sea change in kind of the way I thought about sailing and just the confidence level. Like I was always kind of a skittish solo sailor. Um, you know, every time we would go into an anchorage, I'm like calling up the guys that I'm with on the radio, you know, like, what are we doing? Where are we going? You know, like, and you know, their answer always was like, look at the chart, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so after that trip and, you know, just the sailing and heavy weather going into anchorages that I didn't know, reading the chart, having the GPS as, as an option that I didn't have before, uh, you know, after I did that trip, then I was kind of a lot more calm about things and felt a lot more confident about being just boat handling in general, you know? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like a great trip and yeah, I'd love to, love to be able to get some time and, and do something like that as well. Um, so, and I know you mentioned that you've, you've owned a number of boats and I wanted to ask you uh, about that as well. So you've had um, uh, the McGregor, a pay ship, and, and now the O'Day. Was, it, was there another boat in there? There was one. I had a South Coast 26. Okay. Uh, from 2000, basically 2008 through 2009. Uh, really only one sailing season. So I basically bought it at the end of 2007. So it never really saw the water that year. And then I had it in the water all of 2007. And then springtime of 2009 is when I bought uh, the Pace ship. So, uh, yeah, I mean, four boats. <laughs> I guess you could never just have one. <laughs> <laughs> if you have one, you're probably looking at buying another one. It's, some, a, it's a sickness. You know. It is. <laughs> if you can try and only have one at a time, that would be a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> Things get a little expensive when you have, you're carrying two boats, <laughs> you know. Yeah. But I'm, I'm one of the few people that has ever actually made money 
selling boats privately. <laughs> that's yeah, man, that's winning for sure. I mean, I, it's it's hard to imagine uh, making that work. <laughs> yeah, uh, my first the McGregor twenty five I bought for twenty nine hundred bucks. Uh, I had it for three years, well, three seasons, two thousand five, six, and seven, and I ended up selling it for what I bought it for, basically. That counts as making money with sailboats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All I I had to buy an outboard for it, so I, I literally I think I bought an outboard on eBay for like five hundred bucks, um, in two thousand six, I guess. Um, and other than that, I didn't really do a whole lot of any kind of like expensive kind of maintenance. Like I think I replaced a shroud for fifty bucks, you know, bottom paint. I mm-hmm. I kind of modified the interior a little bit you know, basically just like a sheet of plywood and, and some fasteners and that kind of thing. Um, didn't really have to do a whole lot to it. I didn't, you know, the sails were in decent shape and what I, I hand stitched what I needed to fix, you know, that kind of thing. So in that regard, it was a great first boat because I didn't have to spend a lot of money on it and I got my feet wet, you know, yeah. it wasn't the most comfortable thing in the world. It didn't sail the greatest, but you know, it sailed well enough for me to, to get going, you know, and, and learn a few things. Yeah. So, and then, yeah, that, that South coast was like the second next step up. So I, it wasn't, it wasn't a McGregor, but it wasn't a Catalina or something like that either. <laughs> it's kind of in between, but you could stand up in it. That was like the big thing. It's yeah, like, Oh, right. it's got standing headroom. Wow. <laughs> uh, but it was kind of a funky boat. They didn't make very many of them. And I don't, I just, don't know that the quality was necessarily there, but I was, I was invested. I got that boat for really cheap and it was going to be my not forever boat, but you know, probably my next five to 10 year boat at the time. And it just so happened when Pegasus came up for sale, it was kind of the boat everybody was lusting after, you know, at the club because Rick was winning, winning all the races and, yeah, yeah, you know, traveling up and down the bay on it and all that kind of stuff. So when it came up for sale, it was like, well, you know, me and, and uh, my better half at the time was like, I guess, had visions of the whole family and the dog and everybody going out on this boat. And so we decided to buy it. And uh, that never really came to fruition. You know, I ended up sailing a lot of times by myself just yeah. because scheduling and, and whatnot. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, so, yeah. And then now I have the O'Day 302, which. Uh, I've sailed exactly what one hour in any kind of wind. <laughs> <laughs> at the tail end of last season. So I'm really chomping at the bit to get this thing going and uh, do some more exploring. Like last year was the first year that I, I really didn't sail much at all. Uh, you know, I had the boat out in the water in like late July, but I literally was put putting around the mooring field up and down the Northeast river a little bit and never even got beyond red point, which is like the kind of the, once you get past there, you're getting into the bay. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Gotcha. No, I'm just saying I'm looking forward to actually sailing, you know, being a sailing podcaster, you think. <laughs> yeah, you think you get some sailing in every now and then. Yeah, exactly. I hear, right. I, I hear you, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, For man. sure. Um, but what uh, what do you think? So, you, you know, owning these different boats and, and working on them, um, mm-hmm. what, is, what has that taught you about kind of boats in general? Do those, those different boats kind of have different things that, you, you know, you kind of took away from, from having owned them? It's... Sometimes I wonder uh, what these designers are thinking (laughs) when they made these boats, Uh, you know, and and it's I kind of see and kind of wish I was born a little bit earlier in the sailboat kind of renaissance, I guess, because it seems like from the late 60s through the mid 80s, you know, that everything was accessible. You could buy a boat. It wasn't going to break the bank and it would you know, function and be new and you could take your family out for, uh, you know, weeks at a time on the bay or, or day sailing or weekending or whatever. Uh, you know, I think, uh, like Marcus Asante said when I interviewed him, you know, you could be king of your castle, you could be captain of your ship, yeah. you know, and it wasn't going to kill you to, to buy one, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I kind of hearken it to like the bass boats, you know, the bass holes that we always see running around the bay, you know, they can walk up to Bass Pro or Cabela's or whatever, and for 20 grand, they can plunk down and get a, a go-fast fishing boat and go do their thing, you know what I mean? 
uh, you and I cannot go buy a brand new 26 to 30 foot sailboat. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Ever. I mean, unless we're going to mortgage the house and, and, uh, pay for it for the next 30 years. Yeah. Not, not going to (laughs) happen. Right. Even if we could get a loan for a 10 year old boat or whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, So we're kind of relegated to. Yeah. You either have to be able to pay cash or, you know, or, or that's that, you know? (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So we're kind of relegated to these 40, 30, maybe 25 year old boats that, uh, and I kind of, one of my listeners, Mike Cloudier, that I've, you know, interviewed way back in the day, mm-hmm. you know, he, he bought a pay ship 23, uh, originally. And the thing was like cheap, you know, but you know, it was falling apart. It was sinking on him every time you take it out. And he's just like, I don't want a project boat. He's yeah. like, I want a boat that I can just take out and go. Yeah. So he ended up buying a, a McGregor 26, uh, you know, one of those kind of go fast sailboats, but that's the only thing you can buy. That's somewhat new and and not a big project you know and uh for for like you and i i mean i was looking at pictures on your website today <laughs> of what you had to go through not yeah not, nothing uh, nothing too fancy on on that website for sure right but you definitely <laughs> had to strip that boat down pretty good to uh get it going right yeah yeah it was yeah it was a, it was a, a major project i would say Right. So a lot of times it's not all the time, but I mean, a lot of times if you want to get into this and it's not a bad thing necessarily because you learn a lot about maintenance and fixing things. But if you are not, believe me, I'm not the handiest of guys. (laughs) Uh, You know, I am somewhat mechanically inclined, but I'm just I'm not that guy. I don't I don't have a full workshop and and a full array of tools. Uh, you know, the, I buy the tool when I'm halfway through the project and realize I don't have what I need. And then I got to drive to Lowe's to go buy it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Harp yep. afraid or whatever, you know, and it would be nice, I guess, you know, if you're not that way, you're going to have a hard time enjoying just sailing. I mean, unless you really just go with a real basic day sailor, uh, that's not a lot of systems and not a lot of fiberglassing and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, a lot of these boats, you know, require, uh, and especially if they've been sitting. So this new boat that I have sat for six years yeah, and I'm still coming across head scratchers, you know, that are like what either a, what were they thinking or B what happened to this, <laughs> uh, just stupid situations, you know, and, and like right now I'm trying to deal with alternator belts. Right. Right. Yeah. I was chewing through them really quickly and, so, I mean, this, it's a, it's a crusty old Yanmar 2GM 20 and I mean, it runs, but it's rusty, you know, and I'm like looking at it and I'm trying to figure this out. I'm like, well, maybe the alternator needs replaced. So I bought a new alternator, put that on and it's still not quite lining up right. Mm-hmm. And the part that's not lining up right is not the part that's adjustable. <laughs> <laughs> So we're literally in the middle of this. I thought at first we were like, well, maybe it's just on backwards. Somebody put it together wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, I took it off, spun it around. Now it was, it was way out, you know, so yeah. that's not it. Yeah. And so now we're my next game plan, my friend Jim, who bought Pegasus, uh, just graduated from Stevens Tech here in, in Lancaster uh, as a machinist. Cool, yeah. Kind of a late in life, you know, kind of new new career opportunity type thing yeah he's yeah, like well yeah. oh, i can machine a machine a spacer for that and it'll pop it out as far you know he's a he's a former uh inspection mechanic for cars and stuff so okay. he, i mean well, yeah, he knows what's up yeah yeah i look at this motor and how it's lining up and i've been thinking in my head you know this isn't really lining up he looks at it immediately and he's like oh yeah that's a quarter inch off you know yeah, <laughs> I'm like, yeah. all right calibrated eye you know he's he's got it figured out so anyway that's where we're at like he's machining me a piece i'm gonna when we get it i'm gonna put it on and, and hopefully that solves my problem but who knows you know it's just that kind of thing all the time until i hammer through all of those things and then it'll be my boat you know yeah yeah, yeah. yeah then, you, then you only have yourself to blame <laughs> exactly so if anybody's out there wants to buy a boat you're probably going to have to buy an older boat and it's probably going to need work yeah i was lucky when i bought pegasus i bought it from rick who was a mechanical mastermind and a tinkerer the reason he gave for selling me that boat was because he had built the spice rack 
And the spice rack was the last project that he could possibly think of to make that boat better. <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, so, that's but, awesome. That's, 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 when, a, that's a good deal for you yeah, for sure. When he ran out of projects, it was time to sell the boat and get a bigger one, you know? Yeah, yeah. So that's, that's kind of my advice. If you're not mechanically inclined, uh, and you, you know, hopefully you can afford to pay people to come and look at your boat or whatever, or you can find one that's in decent shape that somebody's actively using, uh, you know, so that's what I would say. I mean, it's a good thing to learn all that stuff, but it can be frustrating. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's a different thing too. It's like, if you want to go sailing, you know, right. grinding fiberglass is, is a, it's a different uh, way to spend your time. <laughs> so other people's boats. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and like sailing centers that have boats that are being maintained that you can rent for a day or a weekend might be the way to go. You know, you don't, you know, and, and I think I was talking, was it you that was talking to people from Waterborne Magazine? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And they were saying how kind of millennials are now like, well, we don't really need to own a boat. You know, we can just timeshare it or whatever, you know. Yeah. Especially when you start doing the math on, on slip rentals and how often you actually end up going sailing. It, uh, it, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's hard. It's, it, it, it starts to make sense. It, for me, it's like, right. I don't think I could ever not own a boat. <laughs> right, 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 right. But, you want um, your little piece of heaven on the water. Exactly. You know, but uh, sit on a on an anchor or a mooring, it is real estate. That's right. On the water. That's right. <laughs> you get to sit and watch the sunset and have sundowners and, you know, enjoy yourselves. So yeah. that I think is the, the, the key is if that's what you're really into and you're able to uh, either do the work or or, you know, tolerate getting it done in the off season and then having the boat ready in, in the summer, that's uh, it's all good. Yeah. Do it up. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, as, and as frustrating as all that boat work can do, can be, and, and, uh, and you're kind of in the midst of all that right now, but, uh, yeah, yeah. what, uh, so what are you most excited about for this, uh, the upcoming sailing season? Well, I'm just really, like I said, really exciting to get out in some wind and do some sailing. Um, uh, right now, the only thing I have kind of planned is a, maybe a four or five day long weekend type of trip. Uh, so it's not like I'm looking to go anywhere kind of, you know, far or anything like that, but I just want to be able to get out, uh, head to a couple of my favorite anchorages maybe and, and hang out and do some, uh, like I swim a lot in the Bay, Cool, yeah, that kind of thing. That's kind of what I'm looking forward to this year. But like I said, I, I'm chomping at the bit in future years. There's kind of two things I really, really want to do. Uh, one is a dumb Arva circumnavigation. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's one thing I really want to do, and I would love to do it on my own boat, but, you know, I'm kind of open to crewing for other people as well. Um, but I also want to do like a full two-week trip, if not three, at some point uh, to go down the bay, down if I can get to like Norfolk or Hampton, yeah, uh, yeah. down that, and be able to take my time doing it. But when you're kind of on these longer trips that you're kind of constrained by time, uh, you know, you might be rolling. Then that's like I said, you, you roll into an anchorage. Okay, you go for a dinghy ride. You head up to the beach. You take a little hike. You know, it's dinner time. That's fine. But like, if you're going to these kind of touristy spots or towns or whatever, you'd like to be able to kind of soak it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. No, and it's, yeah. and that's. I mean, I think that's one of the the most challenging things about sailing in general is just is is the time because it's it's a slow activity. And yeah. It, uh, right. You know, yeah. regardless if you're going out for the day or if you're if you're you know if you're traveling, trying to go right. go, go a place, it's you know it's it's hard to to get the time together and 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 really dig into it. Oh yeah, for sure. So yeah, you know it's uh, I'm quite comfortable just bopping around the upper part of the bay for now, and then hopefully next year or the year after get to uh, head off and and go a little further afield. No, that sounds that sounds great, man. I mean the I know the Delmarva. I, that's something I would love to do as well. I, it's hard for me to sneak away during the summer. Right. Yeah. That'd be, I think it'd be, it seems like a good kind of way to get your feet wet in the, in the kind of the, the ocean sailing thing. And it's, um, right. You know, it's accessible, I think, you know, so yeah, yeah. I've, I've looked at that as well. That's kind of where the sippy cup set was a good stop gap because, uh, I did that in race in 2015 and in 2017, and it's an overnight race that they were running. Uh, Walden Rigging, uh, who's like our local uh, rigging gurus, Dobbs and Suzanne, uh, they started it literally. It was them and another boat back in like 2008. 
And you know what happens when two boats show up at a mark? It's a race. So they decided that they were going to race these small 22-foot boats down to Annapolis and back. And uh, that's kind of where it started. And uh, so in 2015, I finally was like, all right, I'm doing this. And I wrote my friend Smoker into coming along. And it's an overnight race from the Northeast River to uh, outside of Annapolis there. And it's definitely a challenge. Um, and it's not like a big necessarily like a huge endurance race. But there's an aspect of that because you're up all night. And things are very different at 2 o'clock in the morning than they are at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on the bay. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a whole different perspective lights kind of weird what's going on over there <laughs> you know where the, where's the mark where are we at you know that kind of thing trying to dodge crab traps in the middle of the night and i was afraid when i first signed up for it i'm like you know we're going to be out there drifting around our sails are going to be luffing we're not going anywhere you know something like that but i don't know why but in early august uh the two times i've done the race there's been way more wind than we needed and it's pretty sporty, you know, trying to, yeah. At 2017, we were literally, I was waiting, we were dodging thunderstorms that were coming down from the North and we were just getting far, far enough ahead of them that we could see the lightning and everything like all the way around us. And at three o'clock in the morning, we had a wind shift and everything died off for like 45 minutes and we're kind of sitting there like, okay. Yeah. Waiting for <laughs> it to open up on you. Yeah. Yeah. And literally kind of stuck between the channel coming out of Baltimore and, and Sandy point lighthouse. And, uh, you know, Hey, we need some wind to get through the bridge here. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It filled in right on schedule coming out of the Southeast and, and we were able to get through the bridge and it still amazes me going through that bridge at, under sail. Cause I've gone under that bridge numerous times, but I've always had the motor running because things get weird. Yeah. Everything gets a little swirly. Yeah. Same. We have the bridge over the Rappahannock the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And uh, plus you got cruise shit. It was funny cause we were going through it, looking to go through it. Uh, when we went through in 2015, it was light out. It was like seven o'clock in the morning, but this last time we did it in 2017, it was dark. I mean, it was, 4:45 in the morning and or 4:30 or something like that and like you can see all these flashing red lights but you can't necessarily see what they represent because there's two spans and they <laughs> offset you're like well where where the hell am I going here and I'm on my AAS uh, app on my phone and I see the grandeur of the seas oh. Coming up at doing like 19.8 knots. And I'm like, yeah. well, okay, let's stay out of his way. And then when he went under the bridge, there were so many lights on this cruise ship that it lit up all the spans. And I'm like, okay, that's where we're going. <laughs> yeah. Cool. <laughs> let's go there, you know. So, yeah, that's a good, uh, like I said, doing the, the Delmarva would be uh, kind of the same endurance type of thing, uh, you know, where you're kind of hard at it doing it. I guess they do it in like stages or whatever. But, I, I haven't been in the ocean yet, and I would love to go ocean sailing. So even though that's just kind of coastal cruising, uh, it's definitely something I want to get into. So cool, yeah. And I've I've always enjoyed listening to the uh, your episodes about the sippy cup. That sounds like a lot of fun. And, yeah, uh, I hope they do it again. Uh, there's another person up at Northeast River Yacht Club that put out a in their uh, newsletter that they were thinking about sponsoring it this year. Uh, so I don't know if it's a go or it's not. I guess I'll find out here shortly but it would be nice if somebody would pick up the mantle and uh, run with it because it's a good little fun race yeah no for sure and, and I, I don't want to presume to to invite myself to go sailing with you but oh, if yeah. you run the sippy cup again and you're looking for crew okay <laughs> give me definitely. give me a holler <laughs> yeah i'll definitely give you a holler cool. it's if i'll let you know as soon as i find out if they're doing it or not and yeah. it's one of those things where you know i work every other weekend so it has to be right like yeah one weekend i don't work so hopefully that works out you know yeah <laughs> <laughs> and, but you know, if, 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 you know, if that were, if that were to work out and, uh, you know, the two, two sailing podcast guys in a boat, we would, oh. we would have to win. Like, oh yeah, yeah, it would definitely, be, you know, I don't know, I don't know what would happen if we didn't, but it's, it's critical mass. Yeah, you know, that's you, right. <laughs> all that hot air, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Strange things start happening. There's lightning strikes all around and you're like, whoa, what's going on? You know, <laughs> little tornado spins up, you yeah, know, takes right. us down the bay. Right. <laughs> um, so you mentioned uh, you've mentioned Hans's point that the yacht club there, um, and it's it, I, you've talked about it a fair amount on your podcast. Is it like is it 
run by the members or how what, what is that whole scene like it sounds like a, a cool place yeah it's uh it's pretty i would like to say it's low-key um but things get tense just like they do in any yeah. kind of organization from time to time i guess uh but it's uh basically a do-it-yourself yacht club i guess like i always said there's not that many yachts around but you know there's lots of sailing boats yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh but it was started in the f- I guess in the fifties kind of started out as like under the guise of some kind of coast guard auxiliary type thing, like a train, they called it training base, you know, and kind of sounds more elaborate than I think it really was. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but basically what it is, is a plot of land on the Northeast river that, uh, back during world war one was kind of a, uh, a state of some, High flute in Philadelphia guy who ended up being a German sympathizer <laughs> during World War One, and so the government came in and and confiscated his assets or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so basically, what we use as the clubhouse was like his kind of recreation room. It was basically like a bowling alley. And, oh wow, that's cool. And that sort of thing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we basically have about a hundred and twenty so members. And that's roughly based on the amount of moorings that we're allowed to have, according to the state, mm-hmm. uh, out front on the waterfront there. So we basically have facilities to hold, handle up to about 120 boats um, slash members. Um, and it's, I mean, it's pretty much the cheapest kind of thing that I could get into. You know, you're, you're talking, if you get a slip somewhere uh, for a 25, 30 foot boat, you know, you're probably looking at at least, I would think, $2,500 a year to keep it like in a slip and then dry storage and whatnot. Uh, for us, it's it ends up right now, it, it's gone up a little bit uh, over the years, but I roughly pay about 900 to to $1,000 a year to be a member. Oh, wow. And that includes your, your mooring? That's the mooring and dry storage. And, and, and so end hauling and dry storage. Yeah. Oh, that's all. That's so, cool. That's a good deal. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, I mean, it's it's basically a private club, you know, so just like I don't want to say like a VFW, but, you know, something along those lines mm-hmm. where you have to be sponsored to, to become a member. And there's like an initiation fee and all that kind of stuff. But once you're in, it's basically you pay the, the, the membership fee, you pay a couple odds and ends fees. They charge you about three hundred and some dollars a year for like a maintenance fee. But you can work that off by coming down and, and working for the club. So putting moorings in, pulling moorings out, putting docks in, putting docks out, you know, groundskeeping, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, basically, you work like 40 hours a year and then that maintenance fee goes away. Yeah. And then everything else is based on the length of your boat. So I'm paying a little bit more now that I have the, the 30 as opposed to the 26. Right. Um, so anyway, roughly between $900 and $1,000 a year. Uh, gets you, you know, basically, like I said, waterfront property. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> For lack of a better term, you know, but uh, it's a good little place. You know, it's it's not a for-profit marina, so you don't have necessarily, uh, you know, the profit motive. But you know, everyone has to do their part. So when we launch boats, you know, a member gets up and drives the tractor that drives the hydraulic lift. You know, if yeah, that's cool. You know, like I said, we're, we have work parties in the spring and fall to do the the major stuff like putting in the moorings and through the winter. I mean, we're maintaining the moorings and welding. And we got, you know, like I said, right now we have a pontoon boat that the club got kind of as a kind of a tender slash emergency boat. Um, so we members couple of my friend Jim, you know, he they stripped it completely down. They're putting new floor in and new uh, new console and all that kind of stuff you know so it's not uh something we necessarily call out to bring people in to do stuff we try and do most of it ourselves yeah no that's cool i mean that's and that sounds like a lot of fun too just get get some guys together make it happen it's it's, uh salt of the earth blue collar sailing which is funny because you know some people say well you know, blue collar people aren't supposed to have yachts <laughs> and you know, maybe they're right. Like we were talking about earlier, like we can't afford new yachts, but we have our old good old boats. That's uh, right. Can, That's right. And yeah. so I'm looking forward to, uh, you know, this season, uh, like I said, my buddy Jim bought uh, Pegasus 
and we're kind of across from each other in the yard. And once he's done farting around with this uh, pontoon boat, we need to get Pegasus up to speed. You know, I'm working on Lissadell, and hopefully we'll all be floating in the water by mid-May, hopefully. And, uh, you know, out tooling around on the weekends having fun. Yeah, no, man, that sounds, that sounds great. It uh, sounds like a plan. Um, so I, you know, we're actually, we're, we're closing in on an hour here already, but, um, yeah, yeah. I wanted to, to, you know, uh, you've, you've been doing your podcast now for, for a while and, uh, you know, I, I've really appreciated the support you've given me. You've kind of given me some shout outs and stuff, which, which is awesome. Um, oh, yeah. and I've, I've always, I always enjoy listening. You know, it always brightens my day when, when a shooting the breeze comes out on, on the iTunes, <laughs> it's always a good thing. Um, there you go. and, uh, you've talked to a lot of really interesting people. I mean, you've spoken to Lynn party, you've spoken to right. paul and cheryl shard uh right. matt rutherford you know um yeah. and uh you know so it's, it's you know it's, it's been great to listen to um i wanted to ask you do you have any advice uh for someone like myself who's kind of just getting into it and and secondly um what's it like talking to these to these folks and, and is there anything that you've kind of learned from them that that stands out to you well it's kind of the way uh i always my so just to go back to the root of it all like my dad was in a rock band in the 80s, right? And I was able to be part of all that. You know what I mean? So you think of like your favorite band, what would it be like to go backstage or what, you know, and I was only like 13, 14, 12, whatever. So it's not like big party or anything like that. But I was always there and able to be part of what's going on. You know, I had the all access pass. I could hang out at the soundboard. I could hang out next to the stage. I could hang out backstage you meet tons of people and they look at you because you're associated with the band. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you know, all those social anxieties, I guess kind of go away because they're interested in what you have to say. Right. And then that goes away. <laughs> and like now I'm in high school and it's like, you know, I, I was okay in high school. I had a lot of friends. I got into skateboarding and, and did a lot of stuff, cool. but I always felt like it wasn't enough to just, be into something like I had to be involved in it you know what I mean yeah, yeah yeah for sure so when I was like a skate punk you know I had to start a magazine because I needed to be like in the know what was going on and and kind of have my hands and things and I don't necessarily think I needed a spotlight so to speak but I just needed to be kind of in into it you know what I mean yeah and so when I got into college you know I went on uh the radio. I was a college DJ for a while. Uh, my friends were in a band, so I started managing the band because I had quote unquote contacts in the music business around here a little bit. Right, right, yeah. Because my dad was in a band, you know, and I could call up the club owner and say, "Hey, you know, I my dad was in the Sharks, and uh, I have this new band that I'm trying to book. What you know, what do you got? You know." So it kind of just by taking that thought and step to be a part of things you can get into things you know what i mean so it's there's not like the sitting sitting just listening and, and i always go back to uh, high fidelity where it's like you know instead of being a professional appreciator <laughs> you know create something you yeah, know go, yeah. get your hand in there stir it up mix it up a little bit so like i said all through college i did the, the band managing thing and, and i did the college radio and then later on you know, later in life, it gets harder and harder to kind of focus on that kind of thing because you're having a family and you've got jobs or you don't have jobs or, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> whatever life stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whatever, whatever the case may be. And, you know, technology's changing and, and I kind of wish I would have jumped on it earlier. I really started listening to podcasts in like 2004. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, but it was like, well, what am I going to podcast about? You know what I mean? And then I got into sailing and I was like, well, maybe I could do this. So I've been doing the podcast now for, what, four or five years. And, you know, I always heard about Bob Bitchin. Yeah. Or I always yeah. heard about the Pardees. You know, I, I saw Distant Shores TV, you know, or whatever. Never in a million years did I think, well, I'm going to interview them someday, you know. And it just becomes one of those things where you're like, you want to be a part of what's happening. And it's really not that big of a community where you can't have access to these people. like they're not they're not rock stars you know <laughs> they don't have handlers that you know yeah, yeah you just, just email normal people <laughs> yeah you just email them or whatever 
And once I figured that out, and that basically started with Andy Shell, when we basically started the sailing podcast right around the same time. Yeah. Yep. And so I think that year, that, so that would have been 2014, he was down with uh, his dad's boat, Sojourner, at the Annapolis Sailboat Show in the spring. And, you know, I just said, well, I'll stop by. You know, I stopped by. I had my recorder. We start talking, you know, he's showing me the boat, all this kind of stuff. And then I think that fall then he invited me over to his house and, and I interviewed him for his podcast, basically. And uh, through that, I was just like, I kind of got caught a glimpse of, you know, what the bigger community in sailing was about. Because like that first one you listened to where I went to the boat show, I hadn't really gotten into it like i knew who bob bitchin was and i had enough balls i guess to go up and interview him yeah that's awesome <laughs> but that was like it i was like oh wow i got like the big kahuna you know uh but yeah once i talked to andy and, and really started getting into the community is when i and then i finally like i think i reached out to paul and cheryl uh from distant shores because i had heard them on andy's podcast and i'm like wow it'd be great to talk to them you know didn't ever really think they would even know who I was or give a crap or write me back or anything. And they're like, Oh yeah, we'd love to come on, you know? Okay. Wow. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so that's what it, you know, that's to me, like those guys, especially like Lynn Pardee, uh, I had talked to her uh, person to person, maybe twice at the boat show. But when she agreed to do a full on interview, I was like flabbergasted. I'm like, Oh my God. And of course, like that day at the boat show, like my car wouldn't start in the morning, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all kinds yeah. of crazy stuff's happening. I'm like, I'm going to be late. Oh my God. You know, <laughs> so it's, it is actually kind of stressful, but yeah. uh, in the end, you know, I got to talk to her two or three times, you know, uh, in-depth interviews come up with some really, the coolest thing was I interviewed her and then a couple weeks later, somebody on Franz's podcast, the sailing in the Mediterranean quoted something she said on my podcast yeah that is cool <laughs> and i'm just like wow this is cool you know this is awesome yeah because you know again when i started out i was just trying to like put together some cool stories from the club and, and this that and the other thing the audio sucked i wasn't quite sure how to edit things and, and basically it was a shot in the dark and uh you know so for like the first 10 episodes like i'm really like i don't know if anybody's listening <laughs> Yeah, I got a couple downloads, but I'm not sure. You know, <laughs> is it just mom? <laughs> right. Well, hell, mom doesn't even listen. You yeah, know. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> so it's it's one of those things where you're you're putting your heart and soul into something, and you're basically talking to the the brick wall. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're not getting anything back. So it took a while. It was like maybe six months till I got. Maybe not quite as long as six months, but it was it was a while till I got like my first credible comment back, like on Facebook or something. And I think it was Rory, actually, Rory Finneran. And, yeah. Uh, okay. Cool. Yeah, he was he was friends with Andy, and and I guess he got hooked up through that or whatever. But you know, that was like my first like comment. I'm like, oh, okay, <laughs> somebody is listening. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's just kind of funny if you're if you're in that kind of where you're trying to do a blog or, or like you started with a blog and then you kind of took that and went to the podcast route. Yeah. But Kevin Smith, the director, if you know who I'm talking about, yeah, yeah, the, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's the director that got into podcasting. He always said, you know, Hey, go do your thing, whatever your thing is, just go do it. But he always said, if you can get, and I don't know if he said a hundred or if he said a thousand, but if you can said, if you can get like a hundred dedicated fans to support what you're doing, like you're doing good, you know? Yeah. That's kind yeah, of yeah. where I went with it because I have this thing about defining what your success is. You know what I mean? And I want to be a part of things. I want to be part of the fabric of the sailing community and I want to have a sounding board and I would love to have a hundred dedicated fans or a thousand dedicated fans. And that's enough. You know, that's what I'm after. So cool. So, cool. Yeah. I think that yeah. I mean, it sounds like, sounds like good advice. I, yeah, definitely. And I joke, you know, I always joked with Kamal, uh, you know, I, I do a sailing podcast. People expect me to know what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes I do and sometimes I don't. And I guess the the best distillation of that for me was when I did the um, went down to the Seafarers Yacht Club and listened to uh, Captain Bill Pickney, the first African-American that sailed around the world solo. And he was talking about being out there and how he's nervous because he doesn't know what he's doing. But yet he does know enough of what he's doing. And then 
he'll have evidence five minutes later that he doesn't know anything at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, enough to get by, you know, more than you think you do, but in the end of the day, you probably don't know it all. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And if, and if you're not learning, you're not paying attention. So Pay attention. exactly right. Yeah. That's cool. Cool. Yeah. Well, again, Jeffrey, like I said, I've been, I've been listening to the podcast for, uh, since the beginning. So it's, it's been really, uh, it's been awesome to get to talk to you. I appreciate the, uh, appreciate the awesome. time. Cool. Thanks. Uh, thanks All Jeffrey. Right. I, I really appreciate it. Have a good one. Hey, no problem. Thanks a lot. All right, man. See ya. There you have it, ladies and gents. Jeffrey Wedig of the Shooting the Breeze Sailing Podcast. You can find him on all the usual podcast platforms. His website is theescapepods.com. And he also is the admin of the Sailing Podcast Enthusiast Facebook group, which I encourage you to check out. Uh, and Jeffrey was kind enough to interview me for his podcast. So if you're interested in hearing the reciprocal version of what you just listened to, head on over yonder ways to the, uh, the Shooting the Breeze pod and check it out. Uh, as always, thanks to you, the listener, for tuning in. I'm endlessly surprised and uh, gratified. And as Jeffrey says, sail on. That's it for this episode of The Bonnie Boat. Thanks for listening. I know time is my most scarce resource these days, so I appreciate you uh, choosing to spend your time listening here. One of the reasons I decided to throw my hat into the podcast ring is to get in touch with other like-minded sailing maniacs. To that end, if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email me at thebonnieboat at gmail.com. You can find us online at thebonnieboat.wordpress.com. And remember, to be a sailor, you don't need a YouTube channel with 100,000 video subscribers. You don't need an Instagram account with pictures of beautiful people in their bathing suits. You certainly don't need a podcast. You don't even need a boat. You just need to go sailing. Until next time, this is Firefly standing by on Channel 16.